You are listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by Birmingham Live. Hello and welcome back to the Carton Blue podcast. My name is Dan Rowance and I'm joined uh, for the first time since Southampton, I think we just worked out, uh, by Matt Kendrick. Matt, how are you? You okay? Been a while, Annie. Mm, feels like it. Too busy playing um, playing football with Ashley Priest in Cameron Archer's back garden to come on here, mate, to be honest. <laughs> Oh, what we lasted I'm 30 back. seconds in. He's back, he's back. <laughs> uh, well, today we're doing a first, it's a fan phone-in, and I've, I've not done it as a live, in terms of, um, we are live, but the fans aren't live, because I was wary of what people might say, and you come in with a camera and I'll show Ashley Priest joke 25 seconds in, I can't vet you, can I? <laughs> um, but I think we've got 20 or 21 fans that have sent their opinions in or a question um i've lined them all up as a little voice note so thank you for everyone for getting involved this is the first time we tried something like this and we've asked about it a few times i think it is a, a decent concept there's some gerald out stuff there's some gerald in stuff there's some stuff about tactics and players and signings um i've got them in no particular order but each one is labeled with a person's name and like a, a little pull out quote or a title of each one um like i said they're in no particular order so if we listen to one and we think, oh, we've already kind of answered something like that, we'll just move on to the next person. I'm going to kind of wing it like we do on most of the stuff on the channel. Um, Before we do get into that, though, just quickly on Nottingham Forest, from from your point of view, because obviously uh, Presser was yesterday, we did our preview yesterday, but we don't play till Monday, so it feels like this elongated period before we actually play the game. Steve Cooper's signed a new contract since then, and their atmosphere is going to be bouncing by the sounds of it. Um, How much do you think that will affect it, first of all? And then I'll ask you a secondary question on Forest before we get into these. Yeah, it's been rebranded El Sakiko again, hadn't it? Before before Cooper had um, before Cooper had signed that. I mean, it's a it's a strange old club, isn't it? Nottingham Forest with 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 what's gone on there. Um, I don't know. I think from what I hear, I mean, I've not been to the city ground. Well, I've been there for a conference, and I think, and I've been there for a, a friendly. Um, I think when when McLeish was manager, potentially, but I've not been there when it's bouncing. So I don't know what the, but I hear really good things about it. I hear that, I went, you know, one of my first work tri- uh, trips when I first joined, which was three years ago up to the week, I think I had a notification this week on LinkedIn. Um, you sent me to Forest Derby as one of my first kind of speak to the fans and get some atmosphere stuff. And that was loud. That was obviously a championship yeah. game. And I said Derby game. So it's obviously special in that, in that aspect, but that was loud. And you can't think, yeah, proper club, get forest, get back in the Premier League, et cetera. And their fans have stuck with them all the way. Even on Monday night last week, when they're 3-0 down, 4-0 down to Leicester, their fans are still going. So you give them respect for that. Um, but yeah, I, I was saying on our preview yesterday, like it's, without a goal for however long or they've not kept a clean sheet or they've not scored so you know upstep Aston Villa to, to give Forrest an easy win almost in jest but now the Cooper signed that contract and isn't going to be sat before the game you kind of think oh that is kind of I'm a bit more worried about the game now than I was and I probably ought to be I still think we'll probably win but I'm a little bit more worried now than I was yeah I mean we've said it before haven't we you know Villa, Villa playing out of form teams back into form for, for many years and I'm sure other clubs fans would say the same about that that yeah. their own clubs but I think the the thing with Forrest is I think Steve Cooper will have massive goodwill in the bank because he's the bloke who's delivered them promotion you know after a very very long wait and I think that they realised I think most Forrest fans would have realised that this was always going to be a slog anyway mm. and if anything I mean, I, I might be wrong, but I can't see Steve Cooper as being the driving driving force behind the mad recruitment drive that, that, that went on. You know, he would have known 
bit like when Dean Smith took, took us up, he would have known that that squad needed surgery to give it any kind of chance of, of competing in the in the Premier League. But I think he's almost having to manage the, you know, the, in the Premier League, learn how to manage in the Premier League and having to try and manage the circus that's around him. Mm. So I think that's a, a really difficult gig for him, albeit a very bright and clearly clued up bloke. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know whether it makes much difference because it, to me, it depends on how Aston Villa are set up for that game. You know, can we go there and silence the crowd by playing on the front foot, doing things. Scoring Scoring full stop. Um, (laughs) And, so I don't know. I don't know. I, I feel, you know, obviously watched the, the Leeds game on the telly last week and like everybody else was very disappointed that we couldn't turn that, that man advantage into actually going on and winning the game. Mm. Um, but I just, <laughs> it almost feels a little bit too much like that we're working too hard or that the, the club are working too hard at this turn of corner narrative. Mm. I'm not quite convinced we are. Yeah, Do you know what I mean? Too. I think we, we're still walking down that road of a slump before we can even look to turn a corner, but going there, getting a victory, hopefully scoring a couple of times, I think it would be um, it'd be a good start. But I wouldn't be putting any money on it. Okay, uh, that's enough on Nottingham Forest. I think I'm sure they'll get another mention throughout this. Um, like I said, let's go on to these fans. Then I think there's twenty. Um, each one has got a title or a pull-out quote. So I'm going to give you an option of two each time until we whittle it down to the last one. So you can pick between the two titles. Okay, so some of these, I mean, some of these are harsh, harsher than others. Which is, I mean, everyone's entitled to their opinion. Um, Alex, unpopular opinion, or Ben with stop the negativity. Go with Ben. Okay, Ben, stop the negativity. Probably should have saved this towards the end because most of it was quite negative. But Ben, start us off with a positive. Gerard isn't going anywhere until at least the World Cup break. So I think we just need to stop the negativity to be honest and focus on the positives. We're unbeaten in the last three games. We've got clean sheets in the last two games. Second half against Leeds, we didn't score, but we did dominate them really and we should have put some chances to bed. Coutinho looked better. Buendia looked decent when he came off the bench. Watkins continues to miss those chances, but that's unfortunately the type of striker is it isn't great and and things definitely do need to improve but i just think we just need to stop the negativity we just need to try and be positive get behind gerard and get behind the lads and hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll move up the table there we go our first ever fan phoning section there from from ben thanks for sending that in what are your thoughts on that because obviously like i said most of these after this are probably going to be quite negative so let's get the positives out of the way do you feel optimistic do you feel there's reasons for positivity are you a, a, a friend of Gerard's, Ben? Do you, do you know the family? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, listen. I think he. I think he does make make some 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 valid points. I think all this needs to be placed in the context of us sacking a successful manager um, a year ago and being told that the reason was that this club's got got ambitions beyond consolidating or battling in the bottom end of the Premier League and that Mm. we should be making continuous improvements. So any negativity must be seen in that context that we we were convinced of the idea that we're a club who wants to be at that top table very quickly, which is why we got a big name manager, which is why we were able to to bring in players of of the ilk of, of Coutinho. So... I take the point completely that us all being doom and gloom doesn't really do anybody any favours, really. Mm. 
But what I would say is that this is a this is a, a kind of partnership. I think we're not me and you. I mean, we've not seen you for months, but it's a partnership between the fans and the club. So, do we feed off them? Do they feed off us? And I think we need to see more. And hmm. Ben's outlined a couple of things there. But like I said at the start, you should have saved Ben till the end. <laughs> like I said I at the start, I'm not convinced that corner is turned yet. So yeah. I think fans can reserve the right to be disappointed, frustrated, question why we're not doing better than we are. I don't know whether that automatically equals negativity if people are, are doing that. I think if you're in a if you're inside a stadium, and I've always said the stadium is a barometer of these things much better than social media, much better than podcasts and, and all that kind of thing. If you're in the stadium and you're not giving people a chance from minute one, hmm. what's the minute one, the first minute, then I can understand people saying it's negative. I haven't really quite seen that no, yet. No. At Villa Park, I think it's been a very you know, I do know in the, the Southampton podcast, there was people singing, you know, Stephen Giles, Clark Brahm and stuff, and I was almost, almost taken aback a little bit, thinking, well, the mood online is very much on the edge of Gerard out rather than in. So for the stadium to be singing in his name, you kind of think, oh, this is, goes against what I've seen. Uh, the two, two things are totally different, but it was usually a bit of an overlap. Um, but yeah, like you said, there hasn't been that negativity creep into the stadium yet. If we lose on Monday night, God forbid, I think you will see a bit of that. I think put it in perspective as well, and I haven't listened to any of these clips, so I don't know what's coming, but I should imagine from what you're saying that Ben is possibly one of the more positive ones that mm. we've that we've got who, who's phoned in. Um, and even though one of the most positive ones is saying, well, he might be sacked by the World Cup. We're only talking, to, you know, <laughs> seven talking games. To, yeah, we're, talk, we're talking six weeks away. So yeah. that shows that shows where we're at at a football club. That it, even people who are kind of very very pro Gerard think that <laughs> he could be doomed to be sacked in six weeks' time. Um, mm. So, no, it's... I've, I've run, out of, run out of words here. This is unlike me. I think I think the thing thing is, we just need more encouragement, mm. don't we? We just need something that we can really, really get behind. And the Man City game probably was it. The Man yeah, City yeah. game was it. What have we followed that up with? Has that I think if we'd have beat Southampton three 0 and even if we still had drawn with Leeds on on Monday night, you'd still go, okay, well, you know, we've had a good two good performances in a row yeah. there. Leeds is kind of you know a bit of a weird one. Follow it up with Forest and do something there, but just kind of just scrape over the line in a very boring game against Southampton. Leeds not being able to you know, face ten men, just kind of you got Man City, which wasn't exactly a high, but probably the highest point of the season so far. And instead of following that up with a, a nice trajectory upward, you've kind of gone, Ooh, kind of going back, back on a downward spiral again to a certain extent. Yeah, it's just finding some energy in our form and in our run, to be honest. Because five points from the last three games, and I'm coming around to Ben's way of thinking. Now, five points from the last three games aren't that bad, but the fact if they'd have been preceded by. 10 points prior to that hmm. would have been fine. Uh, but the fact that what came before it was very, very underwhelming. We need more to get us out of this kind of hole and out of this this mood that we're in, basically. Yeah. Um, okay, we probably need to be speeding up a little bit for some of these. <laughs> if we're going to go through all of them, I'm going to try and get through all of them today. Um, I'll do the same again. Actually, before we can move on to them, just quickly, I mean, they're more nuanced than just a yes or no, but kind of agree or disagree. And the same question to the comments as well with Ben. Do you agree with him or do you disagree? And then move on. What do you think? You I, ag- I agree, but to an extent. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Whatever, if there is negativity, stop it. 
Um, yeah, I do agree in that sense. But yeah. I, don't, I don't think the negativity has overtaken. Mm. Certainly not inside the stadium. Yeah, okay. Right, I'll use the same one. Can you turn that notification off? Yeah, I'll turn it on. I'll use the other one this time. So Alex, unpopular opinion again, or uh, Jay, stubborn selections. Go for Alex this time. Okay. This might be an unpopular opinion, but do you think, on recent form, not on paper, we may as well have just kept with Al Ghazi and Trezeguet and paid big money for the marquee signings? As at the moment, they couldn't be doing any worse than our attack is currently. Okay, so some of the audio on these isn't brilliant. That's probably one of the worst ones. Um, basically, I don't, whether you, I don't know whether you heard it right or not. Would we have been better off keeping El Ghazi and Trezeguet and Traore, etc., rather than spending big money on the likes of Bailey and Buendia? Because they can't be doing much worse. Now, I'll start with my agree or disagree. I'll say disagree, first of all. I think the players that we sign are better than the ones we replaced. It's just that they've not clicked into the right system or the right form yet. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because the numbers... Will probably, you know, this is why you need um, Townley or um, or Pat on. But I should imagine the numbers in terms of goals and assists. I can't imagine that um, that the new crew are performing that much better than the the no, old guy. Right. So in that sense, you'd probably say that we've got a point. Well, now, goals, he scored ten goals in that one season, and I think Leon Bailey scored two so far. So just from a goal output perspective, that I mean, Al he's probably got more than those combined. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's weird, isn't it? Because if you'd if you'd proposed that at the start of this the start of the summer, people have, would have accused the club of, of lacking ambition massively. But that's because we had faith um, in the board and the manager and, and and the powers that be to to not only recruit good quality players, but to um, you know to to get them to click. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I I think it's very harsh in the extreme. If we're writing off Buendia and Bailey and Coutinho, all of whom have shown a, a, a good level, you know, Coutinho at the real heights of, of European football, uh, Bailey is a very good player in the Bundesliga, Buendia, albeit in a poor Norwich City squad, you know, sparkled in the Premier League previously. So I think it would be harsh to, to write them off. I'm not sure there's any real. I'm not sure there's any real place where we could have not gone out and tried to improve. Yeah. And I think, you know, Trezor Gay and Al Ghazi wrote both really, really good servants who we, we, we think of affectionately. But I don't necessarily think this is a player issue. Uh, I think it's about the, the manager and the coaching staff getting those players, getting the right combination of players on the pitch with the right tactics and, and getting some confidence back into them rather than the fact that those players shouldn't have been signed. Mm. So agree or disagree with uh, Alex's unpopular opinion there? Is he saying we shouldn't have signed them, we should have stuck with the two that we've got? The, the... I, th- I think so. I, mean, I was about to say, don't ask me to replay any of these because once I play them, I'm like deleting them off my list so I don't accidentally click the same one again. So I can't well, I don't, I don't. I don't think we were wrong to sign the the three yeah. player, the three attacking players that, that, that were mentioned. Okay. All right, fair enough. The next one I'm going to pick by choice because I know that it's linked to the topic we're just talking about and if we leave it till later, we'll go, oh, that's pointless. So this one's from Ollie. Title is He's Naff. This one's a video as well, so thanks, Ollie. And uh, keep an eye out for the dog as well. So I think Gerard's made quite a lot of errors since he came in. But I think one error that he's made that, he, that isn't spoken enough about is the fact that he let Bertrand Traore go off on loan this season. In the season under Smith where we finished 11th, Traore was brilliant on the right. And yeah, he couldn't last 90 minutes, but he was pretty effective. He got quite a lot of goals and assists. Now our only option on the right 
he's bally and he's naff. So we've got no other option for that right side or no other effective option. We should have kept Traor away because Bally's last couple of performances have been awful and it would have been nice to be able to put Traor away on the right wing because he'd definitely do more than, than Bally. Hmm. Well, we've just talked about it to a certain extent, but do you agree with the, the main point there that Bailey's naff? No, I don't agree with the, that he's naff. Uh, I think we could see a lot more from him. Uh, and again, we've seen little glimmers, but nothing nothing over a concerted period of time. Uh, I wasn't really listening because you told me to look at the dogs. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was, I was listening really. Again, Traore... I mean, it's, it's one of those things, isn't it? We've talked about it loads of times. It's always the players that aren't available anymore, the ones that are the world beaters. You know, we don't have a great game in midfield and, and Sanson is suddenly the answer after two years of barely kicking a football. Traore, how many times have we come on here and said that he's frustrated the hell out of us and he'll do a nice little moment of magic, but you just think he's not he's not good enough and now he's gone off to play, play out in Turkey, I think it is. So, well, that's clearly the standard then, isn't it? So yeah, Traore is probably enough, not Bailey. You know, I didn't see too many petitions up and running when either El Ghazi, you know, Traore or Trezeguet left. Mm. Uh, again, players are going to fall by the wayside as you as you try to evolve. You know, theoretically, we, we've signed we've signed better players. I do I do take the point that, and I'm, not, I'm conscious that I'm going to rattle on too long for all these, so we will speed up. But I do That's take fine. the point that our options down that right side, you know, are limited potentially, mm-hmm. yeah. but. Equally, you know, you've got you, you tell me you've got Bailey Bailey who can play there. Buendia can can play there. Coutinho can can play there. We're not playing with with wingers as such, are yeah. we? So, but Troy would have played off the right and cut in on his left. He would have fit into the same kind of narrow system. But yeah. again, it just I wouldn't have been that bothered when he left. And if you were in a bit of a hole and looking for somebody to come on, and, and Troy comes on, I would still be thinking we well, ain't going to do anything. Yeah, even if we're all frustrated and disappointed, and but I'm not clamping. I'm not saying, I'm not saying it's wrong, but I'm not clamouring, thinking, you know what, this team's missing. It's missing Bertrand Traore. I'm not mm. thinking that. Yeah, yeah. All right. Let's move on from this winger debate then. Um, the dog was super cute. Yeah, it made a little noise as well. Did you hear that? <laughs> I, I did hear the noise. Off. I thought it was my yeah. stomach rumbling. No, the little dog kind of squealing or whatever. Um, yeah, thanks, Ollie, for sending that in. I think it was Ollie's dad, actually, that might have sent that one in, so thanks for sending that. Um, Jay, stubborn selections, or Chris, who has improved? Chris. Okay, Chris, our short one. My question for you is, which players do you think have noticeably improved under Gerard's coaching 11 months in? For my money, I can only make an argument for cash and at push Ramsey, though Smith, who trusted him in the first place. Mm. Thoughts, who's improved in the last year? Ramsey was going to be the one that I'd said, and he's right that it was Smith who kind of gave him, trusted him um, initially. I don't think he was necessarily a first-team regular under Smith. He might have been flirting with the idea of it, but mm. Gerard's kind of picked him pretty much every week or, or most weeks. And I do think, I wish we'd got more like him, to be honest. I'm not saying you could have a team of Jacob Ramsey's, but to me... There's only him and the two he's mentioned actually, him and Cash, who actually carry the ball forward with any any degree of you know oomph. Yeah, true. Um, so those two, I'm just trying to think. Could you make an argument for anybody else? Don't Honestly, know. You I don't could, think you can. You could argue that that Toro Mings has in the last few weeks, but I'm, I'm not. I'm not prepared to give give Gerard that one as a masterstroke because I think Toro Mings was 
do you know what I mean? In in good form anyway, albeit with a, a, an occasional uh, occasional blip in him. So yeah, I Ramsey, think if you I think if you flip the question and said who's worse now than they were twelve months ago, you'd get more than two players, and that probably says everything. Yeah. Do we want to try and list those players, or should we move on to the next one? Nah, move on, mate. Good point. Jay, stubborn selections. We're going to be stubborn and probably still not pick this one again. Or um, Matt with Smith or Gerard. Let's go for Jay because we, you know, we, we don't want him to have to listen to the whole thing for him okay. to get his, get his question on. I actually used to really like the um, tactics that he used to use. There was a lot of playing out from the back um, and using high, wide fullbacks as well to add that attacking threat. I think it was actually the selections that just completely killed that tactic entirely. And the main issue was is that in midfield, we just simply don't have the players or we're not using the players that are good on the ball in terms of making those short, simple passes. Kamara has no one to pass the ball to in midfield, which means either Coutinho has to drop deep to pick up the ball, but he's pressured, or he has to go backwards to Mings and Mings just fires it up long for Watkins. But when we have Louise in the side, Kamara has actually someone to play with, someone to play the ball to. It creates space in the midfield for someone like Coutinho to receive the ball in space um, and then turn and do what he does best, which is linking the play with the high fullbacks. This season, before Kamara got injured, he had no one to play with. And now because of these stubborn selections, we've just got McGinn always starting. We've got Ramsey always starting, which is a good thing because he carries the ball, but they're too similar in that they're not going to be doing those short passes to link up the play. So for me, it's the selections that kill us. That was one of the longer ones. And I, I should say, by the way, people that sent me these, some of them were like three or four minutes long. And just for the time of the podcast, I have edited them down a little bit and tried to keep the most of the points there. But as I was listening to that one back again there, I thought, you know, that's, I think that's spot on. I think I agree with most of the things Jay said there. You've titled it Stubborn Selection. So my, and I do think, I do think Jay makes lots of very valid points. My mind, when you say Stubborn Selections, does go to, you know, playing Coutinho at times mm. when we've seen Buendia looking hungrier and making more impact in 20 minutes than Coutinho has over 60 or 70 minutes. And, and you know, almost the Tyrone Mings things at the start, start of the season when you don't think Mings have deserved to fall out of the team and persisting with McGinn very early on. Now, I do think those were issues and I think managers over time, whoever they are, will have their favourites. But I've seen some signs in recent games that that Gerard has taken a step back and, you know, he's benched Coutinho a, a couple of times and, you know, swallowed his pride with whatever happened with Mings and, and, and got him back in the team. Um, you know, McGinn was hauled off a couple of times, I think, you know, before the end of the game. Quite early on, I think, against Man City, if I, if I remember rightly. So, I do agree that stubborn stubborn selections have have hindered Villa, but I've seen a couple of signs that Gerard is is learning, and I think that's that's that is a young manager who's having to learn quite quickly that you might think that you should have super loyalty to this player or that player, or that in the past you've been able to trust them more, but when the evidence in front of your eyes says that that's not working, you've got to be brave enough to to go and manage and and, and to make those decisions. So. Yeah, I mean, I think it, I think I agree. I agree with stubborn selections, but I still still don't think Gerard is one hundred percent sure 
how to get the best of that team. So, mm. what, is it stubbornness? Is it is it uncertainty? I don't know. I think, like I say, I think it's a very young manager who's learning learning his trade in a really unforgiving environment uh, at a time when he's only really known winning regularly before, um, which comes with being. You know, if you win regularly, you're part of a confident of, of a group of yeah. confident players, and he's having to tactically try and get them set up in a way that they can compete, but also he's having to try and put an arm around and, and, and engender confidence that's, that's not necessarily there. Hmm. I don't want to kind of go too much into tactics, as you can imagine. There's another, I don't know, 17 or what left, and there's a few more on that vein of different formations and stuff. So we'll kind of ebb and flow throughout. Um, so Matt Smith or Gerard. Or Matt, another Matt. There's lots of Matts and Bens, by the way. Uh, two Matts. Gerard is still the man, or Smith, or Gerard. Do we not get a clip? <laughs> I'm going to ask you which one you want. Oh, sorry. I thought. <laughs> Come on. I thought that was a whichever. Do you believe that the performances under Dean Smith were better than the Stephen Gerard era at the moment? As well as you can see an identity under Dean Smith. Do you believe the performances are better when Dean Smith were around? And if Dean Smith had the same players that we have now, would he get better results? It's difficult, isn't it? Because you're talking about Smith was there for three years versus Gerard's been there for a year, games. a year now. So was Dean Smith's 7-2 victory over Liverpool better than Steven Gerrard's 1-0 victory over Southampton? Yes, and I wasn't even in the ground to see the first one. Um <laughs> I don't know. I mean, this is this is when I don't. Was that Matt? Did you say you sent that? Mm-hmm. I don't begrudge Matt for sending the clip, and I'm grateful to everybody who's who's contributing. But I don't know how helpful it is. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because Dave Smith's not going to come back if, mm. if Steve Gerrard sacked on Monday night or whatever. Dean Smith's not going to come back. I, I, I presume the point of it is: have we made any progress? And yeah. I don't think we've made any progress. So. I'm, you know, I'm, I don't think we're necessarily worse than the last six games of Dean Smith's reign, but mm. I probably would have had more encouragement for Dean Smith to come out of a rut and get things right, because that's what happened during lockdown, and mm-hmm. it was very, very miserable. And I know circumstances changed, the world changed. He got a different way of working with that squad, but he was able to really kind of find a way to get out of poor form and, mm-hmm. and, and kickstart Villa again. We'll see. We've got five points from from three games. These are little green shoots of recovery. We'll see. I'm I'm cynical still um, mm. that we're going to come out of this, and I think this season, regardless of 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 what happens, I don't think it's going to be a season of progress. I don't see how it can be a season of progress. So, I think we're almost competing um, with a much bigger wage bill, with a much bigger expectation level. We're competing to match what we did two years ago. Mm. Yeah. So I don't know whether I don't know whether I've sidestepped that question rather than answering it. But. Well, does you take it as uh, however you like? I assume you didn't watch the match preview yesterday. Me and John did. I haven't seen him. I was watching my <laughs> not head. time. Not time. Fair enough. <laughs> um, basically, there was a quiz question in that. I looked at obviously Gerald's had thirty-five games in charge at the moment. Not quite a full season, but near enough. So I looked at Gerald's thirty-five versus Dean's last thirty-five. Do you want to have a guess at the points totals for each one? Dean Smith's last 35. His, yeah, his last 35 games, so 2021 backwards. It would have been quite bleak, wouldn't it, because we didn't end that previous season very well. 35 games? 
35 games each. Uh. Smith, 35 games, 35 points. I don't know. Uh, it was, oh, it's not in front of me. I think it's 38 points. Okay. No, 39, 39 points. And and Gerard's 35 games, exactly the same. Go on, I don't know. 43 points for Gerard. Was it? So slightly more, which I said to John, I don't really know what point to make in there. I don't know whether I'm making out of Gerard's better than Smith, but I feel like the mood under Smith was never as bad as it is under Gerard at the moment. Whereas the points total suggest that we're actually better under Gerard, technically. Yeah, I think I think to me it just shows very similar. Not yeah. the, an absence of continuous progress, basically, mm. unless you're claiming those four points. <laughs> but you know, I, I take the point as a loose idea of how how they both compare. Who knows what teams we'd have played in the? Mm. Yeah, probably pretty pretty close because the Premier League's pretty, been pretty <laughs> set. But uh, yeah, it's we've we've got to get over him, haven't we? To be honest, because I'm the, over the, it. the Dean Smith era has been and gone. You know, you say the mood is pretty bleak now. The mood was pretty bleak when when we lost six and six on the spin. Yeah. Under yeah. Dean Smith, so it's, but it's more. The mood's bleak now after three unbeaten. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a good point. All right, let's move on because there's still loads left. I actually, there was a couple of people that uh, audio was either really bad or whatever, so I've actually recorded the voiceover for two of these. I can't remember which ones it is. So I might say, here's Ben, and then it'll be me. Um, so we've got Max, give him till the World Cup, or Anthony, go 50 50. Gerard needs to go. Which avenue do you want to go down here? <laughs> Oh, you choose. Oh, God. Let's go with the negative one first of all, Anthony. This is a video as well. I personally think that Gerard needs to go. I think we need to get a manager who actually seems to have, uh, who can actually build an identity because um, obviously we've had Gerard now for a year and we still have not seen an identity. And it just seems a bit odd that a manager can come in, have 12 months, and we still do not actually know what he's trying to do. So that's my first point. And my second point, or my second thing I would like to ask you guys is, what do you guys think of the new badge? Um, I haven't seen one yet. I don't know if you guys have seen it. Yeah, I'd like to know what you guys think of uh, us having a new badge. No, I thought we got Anthony was sneaky there and got an extra bonus question into his, <laughs> into his video. I'd rather answer the badge one than the, uh, than the Gerald Musco one. But um... Yeah, let's get the thing with the Gerald Musco thing out of the way first of all. The identity thing, is that a problem for you that we're now sat here 11 months down the line and we still don't really know what we're trying to do? Or do you not really care because it is three games unbeaten and we are looking slightly better? I think it's a problem when you haven't got enough points on the board. To me, mm. I wouldn't mind my team beating... The 19 teams that they play in 38 different ways over the course of the season. I wouldn't care. I wouldn't care if one they were counter attacking, one they were, do you know what I mean? They were attacking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think when things are bad and you wait, you want to try and find a winning combination. That's when you. That's when you kind of crave an identity. So I do take his point. We're, we're, we're a year in, and we don't really. No, and I've said this lots of times on this podcast, we don't really know how those very, very impressive attacking players are supposed to be hurting teams regularly. Um, so I do take his point. It's, I don't know, it's the, it's the Gerard must go thing, isn't it? Because, it's, you know, he's, has he stopped the rot? I don't know. 
I don't to know. Extent, yeah, we're not conceding as many goals now, but it is a small sample size. It's three games. It comes back to the, the question, doesn't it? Do we think a, a, another manager with that squad of players could be getting more out of them in terms of performance, in terms of results? I think so, yes. Um, mm. Based on the how many games we played this season now? Ten? Eight. Was it only eight? Eight in the Premier League. Um, based on the eight, eight games that we've seen so far this season, could another manager be getting a better performance out of them? Yes. How long is it before we, before the board has to make that decision on it? And I think it comes back down to this, uh, probably answering another quick clip here, it comes back down to this, <laughs> this massive break in play, doesn't it? Mm. So, you know, if a club is going to change their manager, they've got a kind of four, four or five week period to do it. Um I think he probably is. I think he is kind of managing for his job over the mm. next couple of weeks. So we'll see. We'll see what these whether these three unbeaten turn into six or seven unbeaten. Mm. Okay. Um, right. Where should we go next? Uh, so still Max, given to the World Cup. Uh, the badge. Oh, the badge, of course. Yeah, sorry, Anthony. They're the badge. Uh, yeah, no one's seen it yet. Or a select few people have seen it who go to these fan meetings and stuff. I've not seen it. You've not seen it as far as I'm aware. Um, just the general principle of changing the badge again. Do you care? I do care because I think it's it represents Aston Villa, and you know it's it's on our shirts, it's on stadiums, it's on all the merchandise that people buy, and, and all these kind of things. I just worry that. I mean, how soon are they talking about this badge coming in the next next, next season, season? Isn't it? I just, <laughs> a badge. A badge is only as good as its last game to me. And if you if you bring your new badge in at a time where we're really crap, mm. nobody's going to like the badge. I know you can't time these things. Uh, okay, well we'll do it when we win a trophy. Uh, so otherwise, badge workers would be out of out of work for uh, badge designers would be out of work forever, wouldn't they? But um, I don't, I don't what, think there's that what, much wrong with the current badge, to be honest. What's all this stuff about lamps that I've heard? Yeah, there's there's three, isn't there? There's a round badge that's similar to 82, but not the same. So whatever that means, a modernised version, I guess, which I think if it goes to a fan vote, that's what a win. A lamp, which I think is probably just a shield, like a shield design. I've seen a few kind of mock-ups on Twitter, but it references the lamp in some way, potentially. I don't like the idea of that at all. And then the third one, I think, was just the lion, an 1874 underneath or Aston Villa underneath or something. So no kind of holder, circle, badge, whatever, just the lion, which I do like the idea of. But again, does that really work in the modern modern day? Like when I'm doing graphics and stuff and I have to do one with Spurs, I always think your badge looks so out of place compared to the rest. Like It's awkward. It doesn't fit properly. So it'll be round badge and we move on. And if we're rubbish when it changes, like you said, people go now, like, oh, the Dr. Tony badge. People are going, oh, the Steven Gerrard badge. Who cares? Yeah, well, listen, if, games. We, if we go with the lamps, then Gerard's got to go. Because anybody tell you that you can't have lamps and Gerard? <laughs> uh, That's why you're asking me about it. Good, <laughs> good stuff. Right, let's move on, Max. I just want to get your guys' thoughts, really, because I was coming out of Ellen Road on Sunday, and I heard a couple of people say, "Oh, that was worse than Southampton." And even when it went on Twitter after the game, you know, not that that's the best barometer of the wider Villa, you know, sort of opinions as a whole. But there's a lot of hysteria on there, and I was a little bit surprised because, by any stretch, I haven't been Gerard's biggest fan this season at all. I think there's a lot to be concerned about. But you know, for example, if Watkins scores at the end there to make it one 0 do we all 
slam Gerard and take you to the manager. I know at the end of the day he didn't score and it, it ended nil nil and you know Leeds had ten men and we probably should have won that game. But I just thought the reaction was a little bit much and I thought you know clean sheet. There's there's a little bit to build on there. I think you've got to give him to the World Cup and see sort of where we come after this massive November uh, October month because there's a lot of games in October, a lot of winnable games. So see where we are after that. I don't think it's the right time to pull any triggers now. I just don't know. I think it was a, the, the reaction after the Leeds game was a little bit much from me. I think there was there was more positives than people maybe maybe thought. Well, that's interesting, really, because Max asked two questions, but I split it in two because it, it was long. And I thought the second part that he asked kind of contradicted his first point, <laughs> which is interesting. What um, was his second part? Sacking before the World Cup? <laughs> no, not quite. But I, mean, I can play the second one now if you want to. Or do you want to speak about that first? Um, let's speak about that. Um, Go on, then. Well, we've touched on that anyway, haven't we? Because the guy earlier was saying. You know, wait until the you know the positive guy earlier was saying, all these positive people are saying wait till the World Cup. Um, it's a convenient kind of flashpoint moment in the season, isn't it? Where you've got four or five weeks without any league football, you can get a new man in, and you can have three or four weeks of pre-season effectively training with whoever it isn't at the World Cup. So it's a nice, convenient time to do it. But if we lost the next three in a row, I'd kind of be thinking, well, don't wait till the World Cup, just do it now. Yeah, you know, it's interesting the point that he was making about Leeds, Leeds away because obviously Max is Max is home and away, so he's he's in the away end there. And I don't know, I've not spoken to anybody who was there about what the vibe was like um, in the away end. I think sometimes when we watch it on, on on TV and we've got our phones and our laptops and our tablets sparked up, we can almost be sucked into. Mm. <laughs> do you know what I mean? You're almost yeah, sucked, in, sucked into the sea of negativity. So I, I'm. I'm probably encouraged in a way that it, he he was able to see more positives than than the rest of it, and I suppose you know I suppose there is that call for patience in a bit that we've if you're playing your way out of a, a slump, you're not necessarily going to play out, play your way out with three nil, four nil, five nil wins. Yeah, um, but I think Villa would be inclined to give Gerard until the World Cup anyway. It's just. What happens with some of those results? You know, Forest is a massive game on Monday mm. night. If go and lose there, you know, that's a relegation rival who are down on their look at the moment. And what does that, you know, what are the optics of losing losing that game like? So I think if you're in the Villa boardroom, you desperately want to give him to the World Cup. A, because you want to prove that the man that you've appointed can get it right. And B, if you can't get it right, you've given yourself the best window um, mm. to try and you know, recruit somebody new. Uh, so yeah, I've I've got no no. I'm I'm not in a massive clamour to see see Gerald get the sack. I would rather him win games and turn this around and you know prove that those big positive sound bites when he first arrived, I thought he held himself and carried himself quite well. Prove that that's the Gerald that we've got, rather than the one who's become a little bit mardy and gnarly and easily offended and that kind of thing, and almost kind of creating this, this bit of a disconnect between him and the fan base. I'd rather him have enough joy and enough success to try and repair that. Um, mm. But it massively depends on the, these next these next three or four weeks. Football's a ruthless game, isn't it? Like you'd say, it's the optics of losing to Man City. Uh, the optics of losing to Nottingham Forest. You know, how does that look to be the team that lost to Nottingham Forest? You know, you look at Bournemouth; they've won two games this season. Oh, one of them's against Aston Villa. Crystal Palace have won one game this season. Oh, that was against Aston Villa. Like it doesn't look good, doesn't it? If you're trying, to, if you're coming out saying oh, we want to be top half, pushing yeah. for European football, winning trophies, and you're the team's one symbol next to their W, yeah. it doesn't look good, does it? Um, we're into the final ten or so now, and a lot of these are shorter. I think we've got some of the long ones out of the way, which is 
convenient. Um, so we'll go Mark buying a striker, which is the shortest at seven seconds. It's just a nice straightforward question. And uh, Dave, highest slash lowest moments. Um, go Mark, first of all. Okay. If we were going to buy a striker in January transfer window, who do you think it should be and what kind of budget do you think we'll have? Over to you, Matt. <laughs> I don't, for what it's worth, I don't think we'll buy a striker in January. So that's my answer. Yeah, well, I can't, I can't really. I'm not allowed to talk about the one who's on the bench, am I? In case I'm accused of nepotism or something. Um, <laughs> <laughs> bitch. Um, I don't know. You tell me who's available. Well, that's the point. The only thing that you might see is somebody having a good World Cup. You know, like after a World Cup in the summer usually, and then they get a move to another club. But is somebody going to have a good World Cup in December and then get a January move to the Premier League? You'd probably go for the new Ollie Watkins, wouldn't you? You'd probably go for Ivan Tony or something like that. But but them selling to a Premier League rival is going to cost you an absolute fortune. And... I, just don't, I just don't see it happening, basically, in January. So I don't think it's worth having a list of names. Or someone in the comments there just said Mitrovic. Fulham aren't going to sell Mitrovic in the halfway through the season, although, and he's their goal scorer. And if they do, what money are they going to want for him? 50 mil, 60 mil? If you're, that, that, if you're paying that amount of money, what are you trying to get out of it? Because to me, you pay that big money if you think you're going to get to the next level. So if you're on the brink of, not even if you're on the brink of Europe, if you're on the brink of the Champions League, you probably pay that money to get you into mm. the Champions League. If you're on the brink of going down, you probably yeah. pay that money to get you to keep you up. I'm not sure a striker is the difference between us going down and staying up, mm. to be honest. So I don't know why you'd eat you'd invest that 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 massive amount of money. And, you know, let's just say you have got you've got a proven finisher who's on the bench. You can't get a look in at the moment. And, you know, I was cynical at the start of the season whether he was a whether he was ready for the Premier League, whether he's a Premier League finisher. I don't think you can judge that until you see him on the pitch more than he is. Um Are you on about Archer? Yeah I'm on about Archer, yeah. I thought you were on about Ings for a second, I was gonna say even not proven. Yeah, Ings, even Ings. I mean, surely there's somebody who's got to get something out of Dennings at some point. We, we make out like he's finished at 31. Yeah, he's not He's not finished, mate, is he? <laughs> yeah, good. <laughs> oh, God. I could see the cogs were in your brain then try and think of a silly joke. Um, so right, let's go. go. Should we go with Dave, another short question? Yeah, go on, Dave. Dave from the States here. Question. What has been your highest and lowest moments as a Villa supporter? Thanks for all you do. Up the Villa. I love that one with my Dave from the States here. I love that. Also, most of the people that sent was these... Was that you? Was that you doing an impression? <laughs> it wasn't me. Most of the ones that sent these started them by saying something like, hi guys, love the podcast, been watching it for so and so years, but I thought we've got to try and keep this as short as possible. So most people were really nice and, and kind about it. So thanks for that, first of all. I've just cut it all out of the episode. Um, highest moment supporting the club? Can you think of anything? Oh, before we get to that, I like where Dave says, he says question. He sounds yeah. a bit beyond say like, have you heard it? Question. Oh yeah, yeah. I was thinking that it was more like Dwight from the office, the US office. I was thinking of question. Yeah, um, I like that. What was the question? <laughs> yeah, highest lowest moment, moment supporting the club and lowest point. I mean, there's two obvious answers here for me, so I'm going to get those out of the way. Yeah, go on, go for it. Relegation being the lowest moment, <laughs> promotion being the highest. Not seeing yeah. us win a trophy. I can't just think of a random guy not beating the Blues or whatever. It's obviously always a high moment, but being at Wembley, getting promoted, that whole kind of what that meant, getting up. Yeah, brilliant. Obviously, lowest moment. I mean, yeah, you could pick out a couple of individual games with bad losses, Bradford in the League Cup and stuff like that. Um, even the League Cup final, you know, not having Vidic sent off, having Vidic sent off and, and possibly winning some silverware 12 years ago now. Relegation, the culmination of five or six terrible years is 
I can't think of a lowest moment, a lower moment than that. Um, highest moment would probably be the League Cup win over Man United in mm. 1994 because the first time I actually saw Villa win anything. Although there's been so many, we used to stand down the front, stand down before it was rebuilt with seats. We used to be pretty on the front on the front row of the whole end, and we'd be like involved in like the goal celebrations and stuff. And you'd see some great goals in the Ron Atkinson era, Dwight York and Daly and Dean Saunders scoring it. So brilliant moments in the whole end generally, but one specific would be the the League Cup win. I thought that was the time where we were going to start winning trophies regularly. The lowest moment. I don't know why this has popped into my head, but there's a Christmas day, the Boxing Day game once, and I think we, um, I think we drew two all, and Zach Knight scored an equaliser against um, Arsenal, and this is really, really random. It's just where my head went. I'd got some really bad bug, but oh. I was still, I still got to work it. So it's actually, I parked at Villa, this car park near Villa Leach Centre, and actually get out, I had to get out of my car, and I was puking over the bonnet of my car before the game. And people must have thought, who's this idiot? You know, is he? Why is he driving if he's that drunk or whatever? <laughs> over the side of his car, and then I went in and got my game head on. Didn't didn't did did my work and stuff, and probably for once didn't take the most of Aston Villa's press room hospitality. And I was getting this work done, and then I felt really ill again, and I think. I missed the equaliser, so I had to oh. go. I was actually back in the box for the um, for the for the equaliser, and I had, to, I had to piece it together and get my report done like a professional. You weren't expecting that, were you? No, I, I really wasn't. I've just googled it. Twenty sixth of December two thousand and eight. Zach Knight scored an injury time as Villa hit back from two 0 down to earn a draw to put them fourth in the table. Oh, exactly, should have been a euphoric day. moment. Yeah, fourth on Boxing Day. What a what a what a the heady heights of fourth. Um, That's my lowest moment. Yeah, Villa going fourth. Yeah, there's one here. Uh, lowest moment for me was Di Matteo's last match, two 0 defeat to Preston, which yeah, oh, yeah, that, that, that led to that. a sacking, but, didn't it? So yeah, I was at that, and he kept us waiting for for ages and in the rain. Um, he had to go though. He had to go. Mm, he's got to go, Frank. So he's got to go. Um, We've had nothing like that, by the way. Like, really kind of het up, kind of ranty stuff. I thought there'd be a few, but there isn't. Um, right, where do we want to go? Faisan, what is the vision? Or Ben, hypocrite. <laughs> <laughs> go for Faisan, first of all. I am intrigued about Ben, but... <laughs> okay. Uh, all I just want to say is that I just feel quite disconnected with Villa. I don't really see the structure. I don't really see the pattern, the vision, where Villa want to move forward. As Villa... Pre-Gerard under Dean Smith were young players for the future, but now when they brought Gerard in, he's coming and he said he wants players here and there. Nice so of Villa can win here and there. Now, however, your players are coming out and saying Villa long-term work in progress. What is the direction and what are we doing? What are we moving forward? And also, all I want to talk about with Villa in Devos, Gerard's always said the work, the the play style is a work in progress, but it isn't really because he just scrapped everything, gone back to basics, defensive football. That's not working on the style of play because this, the style of play, his belief, is attacking full backs, getting into the box, overloads, pressing high up, but we're not doing that. So I don't see how you can do that from playing defensive football, how you're working on it because you're not really seeing anything. And right now, I don't really see any direction with the club, where the club is moving forward. I mean, again, I agree with most of the things Faisan said there, but depressing, isn't it? Not knowing where we're heading. No, not not him, but the point that we kind of sit here and go, what are we doing? What is the vision coming out saying, you know, the, the style of play is a work in progress. It's like, 
when are we going to get to see some progress? When are we going to get to see the, the fruits of our labour? Yeah, he's, he's nailed on. I mean, he's, he's really interesting about the, the beyond the style of play, the, the wider vision of the club. What, what What is this club trying to achieve now? Mm, I don't know, really. You know, it's... it's I think we touched upon this earlier slightly, didn't we? But if you are building for the here and now by getting, you know, big name players with big reputations on on big wages, then you expect to see a return quicker than than we're seeing it. You, you, well, you don't expect us to stand still or go backwards anyway. You expect to see see some kind of progress, um, and I'm not sure. I think it leaves him in a really difficult position at the moment. And the likes of kind of Christian Perslow, when he has to go and speak to the Supporters Trust and, and explain this, I don't know how you can justify that That almost that we are the, this kind of building for the future when the recruitment process seems to be seems to be saying differently, really. Mm. And in terms of the, the, the on-the-pitch stuff, I've got to be careful about this because, you know, you all know I've got a chip on my shoulder. Uh, about Steve Bruce and the and the way it ended there, but this does seem very Steve Bruce and what it's like with Bruce under the championship. A in terms of the we want success straight away, so we're gonna we're gonna buy in for the here and now without worrying too much about the legacy for the future. Uh, and B a very stale, sterile way of playing um, mm. at times and. You know, I don't don't blame managers for when they're up in when when the pressure's on for going to a back back to basics, basics approach and trying to be hard to beat and playing your way back into confidence that way. Um, but even Steve Bruce wasn't blessed with Coutinho and Buendia and yeah. you know Danny Ings and you know Leon Bailey and, and and so on and so forth. So you know, if you are a manager like Steven Gerrard who thinks he can manage at the very, very top of the English game. You've got to learn quickly. You've got to be able to assemble a squad that can do that, can be stubborn, can be hard to, hard to beat, can be really good off the ball. But I've got to offer a lot more creatively. Creatively. Cre- creatively. Creatively. I've got to offer a lot more creatively. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agreed. Um Right, we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven left. You still off time? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, chippy uh, turn. Don't, don't, don't really want to split this into two parts. Um, right, Ben, hypocrite. Or four three three doesn't suit us from Stu. Go Ben, hypocrite. Buendia has looked by far our most creative player for a while now and Coutinho seemingly always looks lost. Bailey is a bright spark but looks a bit predictable playing on the right because he always cuts in. Would the best solution not be Buendia on the right, Bailey on the left and to drop Coutinho? Gerard said last season that Buendia needs to work on his goals and assists if he wants to start. Since then, Coutinho has continually played whilst not producing in the final third. So does that make Steven Gerrard a hypocrite? I'll tell you what, Ben, you've got some podcast work coming up with that kind of voice, I reckon. <laughs> I've actually forgot and I'd record that one, by the way. You did have a velvety smooth voice, Ben, to be honest. I was almost expecting you to be you, like in disguise as well, with your Jesus outfit on or something again. Um, what, it's, what was... it's, a, it's a fair point, though, I think, um, from what I can remember of it, of saying, you know, it's kind of digging out Wendy, not digging him out, but kind of saying he needs to have a certain level of form, he needs to get more goals and assists, and then to have Philippe Coutinho still playing, and he's got one goal in 20 games or whatever. That is hypocritical. Yeah, I mean, I'm just I'm just worried about Villa complaining about your negative opinions and you're saying, no, no, it was Ben. <laughs> I swear, <laughs> somebody sent me that voice though, I swear, it just wasn't very good. Sounded just like you, Dan. That was Ben. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> Don't stitch me up. Am I doing the next one? Say Gerard out. We've got Mavis from Quinton. There's, there's one here from Tam. <laughs> yeah, we've got Cat Mendry. Um, <laughs> what was the question? Is he a hypocrite because he's judging Buendia and Coutinho by different standards? I think so. I don't know, to be honest. I don't think he's been deliberately hypocritical. I think he's trying to... I think there's a lot resting on Coutinho being a success for Gerard because I know mm. we got him at a cut, on a cut price deal bargain for what you know for what he's um what Coutinho's CV should be worth um but I think he probably feels that he can probably does feel uh, probably feels that he can treat Buendia who's on his way up in the game younger more of a future in front of him with harsher words and harsher treatment than he can Coutinho who is Got the, it comes with his big glowing reputation. Does it make him a hypocrite? I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I think Gerald's got his reasons for doing it. I don't necessarily agree with his reasons for doing it. I think you 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 deal you you promote the player and you give more attention and more game time to the player who's going to give you the best chance of winning a football match. So I think it makes him wrong. I don't think it makes him a hypocrite because I think he I think he feels he's managing both those players in the right way. Um, does that, does that make sense or not? I don't yeah. know whether that answered that. Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, Ben, if he exists, will tell you whether that was a good answer or not. <laughs> um, Stu, 433 doesn't suit us, or uh, Alex, Las Vegas villains. Oh, okay, Las, give me a bit of glitz and glamour, go Las Vegas villains. <laughs> uh, Villa fan over here in Miami, but I'm actually wanted to ask a question about this Las Vegas team. Are Villa going to be having their own MLS team or are we just going to be connected to this Las Vegas team? Cheers, guys. Do you know the answer? <laughs> Good. Uh, right, so my understanding of it is that Wes Edens and co, they will own the MLS team. Aston Villa as a football club won't own an MLS team, but the two owners will share, you know, share both assets kind of thing, much like Aston Villa don't own the Milwaukee Bucks because that's Wes Edens' own investment. But whether it's like a feeder team or a sister team or whatever, and Villa can kind of swap players over and send out our, our youngsters on loan to America, or we can tap into the youth youth football of, of of the US and bring them back over to the Premier League. I don't really know. It's like the City Group, isn't it? Man City's owners being invested in a, a an Australian side, I think, somebody in America, uh, possibly another European side or two as well, having this kind of like big expansion of, of Man- Manchester City as a group rather than Man City own those clubs. I think that's my rough understanding of it, but I don't really know if that's true or not. I haven't got a clue, mate, and this is this is to my to my ignorance. I was hoping the I didn't I thought it was gonna be like a, a question about John's <laughs> residency or something in Vegas. I didn't realise it's gonna be a I don't know. I don't I mean what what's what's your what's your feelings about chairman and owners having dual interests? I don't really mind. Honest, not, as long as they're, they're, they're not going to suddenly say, oh, well, we can't afford to bankroll Aston Villa's 100 million transfer window because we've got to spend 50 on LA villains to, to get them, you know, some retiring Premier League player on massive wages to finish their career over there for, for the publicity. There might be a bit of that happening. Maybe like Tara Mings will go over there when he's 35 on a big kind of, the, what they call it, the, the star player or whatever, the MVP. Um, yeah, as long as it doesn't affect Aston Villa and their Premier, Premier League and European ambitions, eventually down the line. I don't really care, to be honest. I mean, this LA thing is going to be a couple of years away. I think the aim was for the 2026 World Cup. 
So it's four years away at least. Is um, what's the name of the guy who asked the question? Alex, I think, but I've deleted it, so I don't know. We um, could we go over there and discuss it? He's in Miami, wasn't he? He said that mm. Alex was. Well, should we go over there and discuss it further? <laughs> okay, yeah, good. Put that in the door and stick that on expenses. Uh, oh yeah, it was Alex. Sorry, I haven't deleted it. Let's get rid of that now. Uh, Stu four three three doesn't suit us. I think that's the longest one left. Or Matthew encouraging signs. Two long ones to get out of the way. Go four three three doesn't suit us. The first area where I feel we're kind of falling down is I'm, I'm just not a huge fan of our formation, the the, the four three three. We're, we're extremely narrow. It doesn't quite suit Coutinho. I know he's been better these last few games, but um, obviously we haven't seen the Coutinho that we'd all um, hoped for. And that in itself is keeping Emi Wendy out of the team, who you know personally I, I, I really really rate and want to see starting. Bailey, I just don't think he's good enough. You know, I understand why he does sometimes get into the team. He brings that pace, but but for me, I, I just I just haven't seen it, guys. I just haven't seen enough from him when he plays. So the other issue with the four three three obviously is we're reliant on Ollie Watkins. Would have loved to have seen him taken off um, against Leeds. You know, he, he works himself into the ground, not, not knocking his his work rate at all, but. He just had a real off day, didn't he? And, and you know, we're looking to, to make that change. But again, I don't think Danny Ings suits the 4-3-3. He can't play on that that lone striker. Um, and Danny Ings really does feel like a, a square peg in a round hole. Yeah, we don't seem to know our best formation. We don't seem to know our best team. There's people being blocked out. And it just it just feels a bit messy at the moment. So I suppose my question to you guys is, does Gerard know his best side yet? And is that acceptable? You know, having had 12 months in the job, two transfer windows and a lot of money to spend so look forward to hearing your thoughts I thought he was very eloquent I'm not sure we can uh, I can match him on that to be honest it's the it's the big unanswered question isn't it how do you how do you get that those front players functioning and I don't I don't know the answer and I don't think Stephen Gerrard does know the answer and, you know, without passing the book too much to Gerard, I think it's more on him <laughs> trying to find the answer than it is for me to find the answer. But was it Stu, sorry, the, the guy who's... Stu's right that... I don't know whether it's getting the... I don't know whether the, what we're doing is getting the best out of any of those players mm. in the advanced areas at the moment. You know, it's... I think because we don't have any, we don't have any natural width. You know, I think Coutinho or Buendia could play as a decent as a decent ten, but are we getting enough? You know, are we getting enough width in the wide areas? I'm not. I don't know, mate. It, it, it just frustrates me a little bit that we're having this conversation twelve months on. This is not a, this is not a manager mm. who's just arrived. You know, he's had you know that that fabled preseason that we told is going to be the route to, to solve, you know, he's the, the source of solving everything. Doesn't seem to have done done anything like that, does it? And what, what's your take? I'm waffling a bit here. What's your take, Dan? I mean, the injuries to Carlos and Kamara won't have helped. I think if they were still both playing now and Carlos and Mings had formed a good partnership, that would, that I think we'd be a lot more steady. I think I saw something yesterday that Villa used 18 or 19 players, which is one of the highest in the league, of having to change the side so many times, which is due to injury. We played four different centre half partnerships, didn't we? Over four or five games over the first few games, um, 
but yeah, you're right. The forward players is the problem. There's a comment here from from Ravi who says we're not playing a four three three. It's a Christmas tree. It's a it's a four three two one, isn't it? Really, a, a narrow kind of triangle like that, that leads forward to Watkins on his own. Watkins might drift out right, but there's no one to get into the box after him. It's just quality, though, isn't it? It's quality in those positions is, is the problem. But players should have the quality to do better than they are. I've said that for a long time. All, all of a sudden, saying these are, are bad players, but it's just the system isn't quite right. I don't know who it suits. I think. I think there's no. I think anyone who scored for Villa this season has only scored one goal. So it's not like we're going. Well, we've still got Ben Teke. He scored six goals this season. If he gets injured, we're in trouble here. Like there's no one player that you stand out and go. Well, he's carrying us at the moment. They're all just not doing enough combined as a, as a team. Well, half half of me thinks, but this is um, you know, like I say, you need better tacticians than me. Half of me thinks, you know, whoever it is, if it's Watkins or if it's Ings, can you play your number ten? Really, quite closely up to them. So you're effectively playing a four-four-one-one, mm. or you're playing a four-four-two. But your two is not your two strikers in Ings and Watkins. It's it's Watkins and Wendia, or it's you know it's it's Ings and Coutinho, or or vice versa. But in effect, that's a four-three-three anyway. You do need you need more than one striker occupying your potentially four or three opposition centre halves. Mm. So you need to play somebody further up. So you need you, you do need two attacking players up front. But how mm-hmm. are they being serviced at yeah. the moment? Because well, they are <laughs> it's weird, isn't it? Because we did make a few chances against Leeds and we made more more than one chance in Southampton game. We only won one nil. If we if we did have won beat beat Leeds two nil on Monday because Watson score and, and Conter scores or whatever you go oh, Nothing to worry about, really. We've, we've created six decent chances. We won 2 0, move on. But because we can't finish our dinner, you do worry that, well, if we do get the service, Watkins might need three great balls from Brendier before he even scores one. And if Brendier gets, you know, man marked, whatever, and he's out of the game and he can't supply Watkins anyway, you go, well, where's the creativity come from after that? Cons of going down at right back. Ashley Young at left back. And it's not, it's not the quality I expected to see after three or four years back in the Premier League. Put yeah. it that way. No, it's, you know, like I say, I'm not your man for formations really, but we've spoken before, haven't we, about should Villa go to a a kind of 3-5-2? And, Mm. you know, does that give you you, you, your proper width? I actually think that suits our our first strong 11 better, a 3-5-2. I'm always concerned when a manager goes 3-5-2 because you think I'm just kind of batting down the hatches and it's more like a five at the back than anything. But Gerald was saying about you know, maybe having to go to three at the back for injuries. If we get another injury, we might need to do that. I actually think it suits our strongest eleven better. People like Dean and Cash would suit a three at the back, having two strikers up there, or like you said, Wendy and Watkins as a two off each other, or Coutinho behind whoever behind you know Archer and Ings. There is chance. There is there is um options there then. I would like to see with. Two advanced strikers, but one of them probably maybe an old old fashioned thinking back to the old uh, Dalian and Dino days and stuff like that. Or I'd like to see what that very advanced two would be like if it was a Watkins and Coutinho playing very very close to him, or Ben when they're playing close to him. Or mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I can't remember what the question was, but I'm sure we've waffled enough around the edges of it. Yeah. Should we move on to the next one? Yeah. Okay, so we'll have 
Uh, let's go with Max's one game because he's the only one who's done two because it was so long. This one is called Gerard Doesn't Get It. Another question from me. Um, there's been a lot of talk this week about uh, the relationship between the fan base and the club itself and, you know, it, it not being what it, it quite used to be because under Dean Smith, we we had a lovely, genuine, relatable fella in charge of the club. We had a captain um, who was a fan of the club and things like that. But now that seems to have disappeared in terms of, you know, the manager seeming like he has a little bit of an ego on him, biting uh, journalists' heads off and just little things like that that have seemed to mount up over the last 12 months or so do you think that matters do you think the you know the owners will look at that person will look at that as something that actually matters to them as well because for me it really really does because a lot of people have talked about the, the disconnect they feel right now between themselves and the club and that that's a real shame because i think that was one of the main things that we had um under the previous manager and the previous regime so i think that's really important and right now that's one of the main reasons why fans are struggling to warm to steven gerrard because i can't see him buying into aston villa i don't think he gets it and that's not gonna do any favors for him because the fan base can't warm to him at all because it's nearly been a year now and I'd say the majority of fans really haven't warmed to him Sounds like the Max Max Stokes household is friends of the family of the Dean Smith household don't you think? A lovely, relatable genuine man I mean, the thing is Max, Max Stokes getting two questions I mean, just trying yeah. to kind of trying to, try to boost his exposure by getting onto our platform you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's outrageous he wants to donate some subscribers as well. That would be much appreciated. <laughs> um, no, I think I think Max is is nailed on there with with Gerard. I don't think again it's these things when if, if things aren't happening particularly brilliantly on the on the football pitch, um, we look at we look around the edges for for things, and we want somebody who gets us, and we want somebody who who understands what 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 Aston Villa means. And I'm not sure Gerard. Would ever that would ever properly have that connection with a club other than Liverpool? To be honest, mm. so I don't think he's going to be that giving of it. But it doesn't it doesn't reflect well, does it? Do you know what I mean? We we spoke about it when he disappeared down the tunnel uh, after a couple of those defeats and didn't acknowledge the away fans and stuff like that. He's he's got a very hard act to follow, hasn't he? In mm. in terms of Dean Smith, because Dean Smith was not only successful in restoring Villa to the Premier League. Sweep the sweep the steps of the Holt end, you know, Brummy Villa through and through. He was also a very very warm, compassionate kind of ambassadorial fella. Um, so to follow that was going to be impossible. The only way Stephen Gerrard could follow that was by outperforming Dean Smith on the pitch. I don't I don't think that's ever going to come. Because what whilst I agree with everything you just said. None of that would be relevant relevant if Stephen Gerald got us in fourth place at the moment. Exactly. It's exactly. about the football. And when the football isn't going well, you go, what's another stick I can beat this guy with? Yeah. I, I don't like him anyway. The football's not great. Oh, he, he yeah. walked down the tunnel early. Bash. He you know, said something to a journalist I didn't like. Bash. You know, it's, none of it really you know, matters. At the point, it can be a stick to beat him. Or, and it would be pretty crap mitigation, but it could be a bit of good, it could be a, a bit of mitigation. It says, well, listen, he's going through a hard time, but look how giving he was there. Look at that. Mm, yeah. And listen, he does do some of those things. I've seen some really brilliant things when he's, you know, with with sick kids in, mm. you know, hospitals. There was the guy that he met in the States. Uh, no, sorry, not China. in Australia. The, the kind of Villa fan, young Aston, I think he was, and stuff like that. But he's a different kind of personality. And if you're Gerard and you are a bit wary that it's the first tough test that you've had and, you know, 
people are comparing you unfavorably to the guy who everybody loved beforehand. Mm-hmm. Is he suddenly, you know, does he think, well, do I spend my time working on my positive PR or do I spend my time working on my forward line to try and get them scoring goals? And I don't know. He's, I just feel that he's been a little bit, you know, we had those joke at the start of the thing, wasn't I, about, you know, I think he had a, a bit of edge, edgy banter, shall we say, with, with Ash, Ash Priest, our colleague, when he was asking him about um, Cameron Archer last week. And I don't know. And people, you know, these, these, Somebody on Twitter who, who responded to me saying, we don't know kind of what pressure these people are under. You know, it's magnified. You know, there's so much pressure on them. That's fine, but they don't know kind of what pressures we're under. In terms, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Working man's under. So I think if you can't be kind of civil to people, I, I don't expect them to be kind of cuddly and warm. And, you know, you're either one type of personality or not, but... To me, when the pressure comes along, you've still got to be able to deal with it. You're still going to be able to deal with people in a respectful way. You know, for example, if if Dean, if Dean Smith, if Stephen Gerrard, if the, the game at, at Leeds at the weekend, if Jamie Carragher's there and they're pulling in pitch side to ask a question and Jamie Carragher asks that same question about Cameron Archer, does Stephen Gerrard give him the same response? Mm. No. So I think you've got to be fair. You've got to treat people... Yes. That's decent, yeah, that's a decent point. You've got to treat people with with respect because, you know, other people are doing their jobs under difficult circumstances as well. And I think that's where it gets me. You've got to be, just be human. You don't need to be over, you know, you don't need to be Mother Teresa. You don't need to be decent. <laughs> you just got to be human. Yeah, I feel that's a slightly harsh on Gerard. He's not this robot monster who, you know, just goes around being nasty to people all the time, but... I, I get the point that Max originally raised there about the warmthness of it. I think Gerald mentioned in the an interview he did with Gary Neville on the on the overlap about like how I've I've not been to Birmingham. I, I popped him once for five minutes to buy a jumper or whatever, and that was it. And that's probably on the day he had his interview or something. Like he hasn't got that connection walking around, and you know you do wonder. And I've just said, is any of that really relevant anyway? Does it matter that Stephen Gerrard doesn't pop into Birmingham for a coffee? Obviously not. But if you're not kind of actively willing to connect with the, the your employer effectively and the 42,000 people that go there every week and the hundreds of thousand people around the world or millions or whatever it would be, the people that support support the club, you kind of think, are you all in, as you keep saying, or or is that like a nice soundbite? I don't know what the point is there, to be honest, so we should probably just move on. I think just just finally for me on that, I think it gives gives credence to the idea, which I thought he did very well to talk down when he first signed that this wasn't a stepping stone. I think without that connection, it feels more like a stepping stone. Um, yeah, you know, but I mean, none of that's relevant because he's not going to get the Liverpool job now, as it's, as things stand right at the second, because he's not good enough to be Aston Villa manager, yeah. manager at the moment with eight points, eight games. So he won't get plucked by Liverpool at this point. So folks on Villa being very, very good before you think about your next move. Yeah, like I said, I don't, you know, I've only met Stephen Gerrard once and that was a football writer's dinner in London about 15 years ago and he very kindly served, signed the back of a serviette for my little glory <laughs> to Liverpool-supporting nephew. So I can only speak as I find. I only see the bits that everybody else sees on the television. This is the first Villa manager since Martin O'Neill, I would say, that I haven't met in a villa manager capacity before. Mm. Uh so I don't know. I don't I don't know what kind of warmth or otherwise he gives. I only see the same bits that, that we do. Uh but 
like I said, he's got a very, very difficult hard act to follow in terms of the, the, the connection that we had. I don't think we'll ever have that connection again with another manager. And like I said before, I don't really think that matters if the team performs well. I don't want to get too hung up on you've got to have a, a fan who, who's your manager and stuff, but yeah. that was a nice kind of manufactured, got promoted, Luke Roper's doing the kits, Grish is the captain, it was all very nice and cosy and warm, wasn't it? And now this is totally opposite of that. And if we're winning games, I don't think we'd be that bothered about it, but we're not, so we are. Um, right, a few more. Well, let's go positive this time. Let's go another Matt. He says, Gerard is still the man. Ings and Watkins are a waste of time. Bring back Tamil, bang in the goals. The only new players we've added to the squad is Carlos and Kamara. Both are injured, so we need new replacements. We need to think big. Plus, I think Gerard's still the man. We just need to give him the back in and get the players in. Up the villa. I was just saying there, Gerard is still the man was the title. I forgot that started in the way it did. And when that one came through, that was the first one where I thought, is this actually a villa fan? Or is this somebody trying to be on the wind-up a little bit? I don't know whether I'm just being a little bit sceptical. I liked him. I thought he got a really good manner about him there. I thought he made me actually kind of want to go with him and say, listen, <laughs> you know. Um, I think uh, uh, like the, my point was saying thumbs up or thumbs down before. I'd say mm, it's kind of in the middle towards thumbs down because he has had money. He has bought down to buy the players he wanted. One of the callers said earlier about he's had a year almost. He's had a pre-season. He's had two transfer windows. He's had X amount of million spent. So kind of inclined to go, well, we have backed him. Yeah, I think the point that he makes about the squad not being that much different to last season because we've only had yeah, that's true. two players who have been injured is a point. But that does neglect the fact that he signed Coutinho, Luca Dean and Callum Chambers um, last season. So he has had chance to to impact that squad. Um is he still the man? Convince us. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, if, he, if Gerard could do as much, as good a job in the next six weeks of convincing us as Matt has done with his 30 seconds there, do you know what I mean? I'd, I'd, I'd say give, give Matt the job until the end of the season. And well, I'd take Tammy Abraham. I agree with that point, but I don't agree that Watkins and Ings are a waste of space. That's not the phrase I would use. Could do better. Um, right, let's go on a positive one and get the longest one out of the way. This is a video as well. I think this guy was from America. Uh, Matthew, encouraging signs. The first one, look out for the Matthews on and everyone is a Ben or a Matthew. I swear people just make up the names on these to keep anonymous. Uh, yeah, keep up, keep an eye out for the big fish or whatever it is in the background this time. You know, I I started rooting for the Villa uh, back in 2019. Me and my friend just wanted to pick a Premier League team and we didn't want to pick a front runner. So we decided that Villa had great history and we wanted to, you know, go with a team that was getting back from relegation and had an exciting player in Grealish, so that's why we picked the Villa. So, new fan, um, I've been loving the podcast, love what you guys have to say. My question is, I feel like the team has come really far in just a few years since relegation, um, but the attitude around the club with the fan base seems pretty dismal. Do you think that this, this is something that's just specific to Aston Villa, or do you think maybe it's something that's common for most football fans in the UK to feel that you know their their team should be overperforming and doing better than they are. There just seems to be a certain level of fatalism within the fan group, whether it's bashing on Mings the last couple of years. Now I think people have moved on to hating on McGinn for whatever reason. Um, I think there's actually a lot for us to be happy about. Of course, we're not where we want to be, but I feel like we're seeing encouraging signs. And yeah, I'm just curious to see if you guys think that the fan base is overly pessimistic or is that not the case in your opinion? So 
Uh, cheers from Los Angeles. Peace out. Now, I included this one, and to be fair, I included everyone that sent one out, I think. I don't think I've missed anyone out. But I liked that one because it's a different perspective, something we're not used to, someone that's only supported the club for three or four years, and to go from getting promoted and now to be where we are. We have come a long way, and it's just a different perspective to, to see that because we all just go, oh, well, we've had 10 years of rubbish, but this guy's gone, I picked that team, I follow them. They've done pretty well. We're not going through a decent spell at the moment, but that's okay. We all can get better. I thought that was a quite interesting look at it. Yeah, well, you distracted me, didn't you, by telling me to look at the fish. So I've seen that marlin or whatever it is about to kind of take his ear off, and I'm thinking, no. Uh, no, it is interesting. I mean, it's it's interesting. I don't know whether Matthew's had the joy of coming over and, and watching Villa, because I think if he was at Villa Park... he would have paid to that, probably, if he'd only been supporting us since 2019. Yeah, I think he'd, he'd see a different vibe to, to Villa Park, even at this kind of bleak moaning period to the one he's probably seen on social media and fan sites and, and the, the, the general media as well. But I think it's, A, I think that's the um, that's the Brummie's prerogative, I think, to, <laughs> <laughs> to you know, tut and, uh, and want more, and it's a football fan's prerogative as well. It's difficult, isn't it? Because I'm not saying, oh, new fan, you don't know. If you'd been here longer, you'd, you'd understand. But I suppose I kind of am saying that as well. Because, you know, we've had so many false starts and mm. false dawns yeah. that I'm sure Matthew would have read up on his history that we won the European Cup in 1982. <laughs> and we actually thought that cemented our place amongst the higher echelons of, uh, of, of English football and European football. And then it didn't. And then we had, you know, we've had full storms under when we've gone close to the title under under Graham Taylor and Ron Atkinson and Brian Little's kept us in the, the, the top part of the, you know, I don't think he needs this, this entire history lesson from me, but it's, are we over, are we over expectant? I think that was one of the things he said that we potentially we're, we're expecting too much now. Are we? Are we expecting, you know, our, what are we a third year or fourth year back in the Prem now? Uh, we got promoted in the summer of 2019. So 1920, 2021, 21, 22, 22, 23. So this is our fourth season back. So fourth season, is he expecting too much to oh, be? No, so I think you'd have said get promoted, stay up, consolidate, top off Europe. I think talking about five-year plan and stuff, I think year four or probably year three is on the fringes of European football. And we're sat here going, we finished 14th last year. We don't know what direction we're going in. We don't know what tactics are our best ones. We don't know who our best players are. And the, and the best case scenario is that the manager gets six weeks to to you know stop being negative and turn it around. That's not a great position to be in after four years back in the Premier League. So I think it, I think it's that really. I think it's the case of us being, being stung or being burnt so many times before, just when we think we're on the on the brink of the brink of something, um, and, and in terms of you know scapegoats, that's not an Aston Villa thing. There's uh, yeah, it's class everywhere. There's uh, although there is there used to be a column in Heroes and Villains. I can't remember the guy who wrote it. But there used to be a, a column in Heroes and Villains fanzine that would pick out a scapegoat, a different scapegoat every month. Or every every couple of months when the magazine was out, and he never ran dry. You know, he'd always got he'd always got he's always got an example. So we are we are good at, at, at throwing somebody under the bus, but I think that'd be the same with with any football club. And we've said, haven't you? Somebody's always flavour of the month. Some you know, yeah. the best player's always the one who's not in the team. 
and that kind of thing. But no, it'd be good. I, I don't. I don't. I'm, look, I'm, I'm delighted. You know, um, Birmingham City fans will always wind us up that our fan base doesn't come from Birmingham; that it comes from around the world. I actually find it a massive source of pride that our fan base does come from Birmingham and does come from around the world. So I don't want people like faraway fans like Matthew to be disillusioned and think, well, I've now I've, I've my colours to the master of Aston Villa and I'm surrounded by a bunch of miserable gits because <laughs> it's a great club. You've made a great choice to, 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 to follow Villa. And I hope that one day, you know, if you have, I don't mean to say patronising because maybe you have already been over, but if you haven't, come over if you can, if the opportunity presents itself and you'll see a Villa Park that even when we're going through lean times is is more vibrant, more positive, you know, mm. than than some of the, the some of the moodiness that you see from me and Dan on here and a lot of the kind of moodiness and and, and, and you know negativity that, that sometimes can in, in, infect social media. Um but can't, what was the question? <laughs> No, I think yeah, I think you summed it up nicely there. Um, and my message to Matthew will be: if you are, you know, you're staying, trying to stay positive and, and keep 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 spirits up, etc. I would turn the podcast off now, to be honest, because the next five or the last five are all negative. Gerard out, etc., etc. Uh, they're all quite short, so I'm inclined to play all of them in one go. To be honest, but we'll still go one by one. I've know that I've recorded one of these, so I'll get that out of the way first, so we don't end this podcast with me voicing over someone else. And yeah, this is a. <laughs> This doesn't look good for me. This is another Ben, I think. I'm sure I I'm sure I voiced this one over. But I swear to God, this was somebody else. Aston Villa don't really have a plan at the moment. We're going off the cuff and it's very boring football. Gerard's changed it to a pragmatic style because we started so poorly and it's just boring to watch. We don't seem to have a plan from game to game. It's just, let's just guess and see what happens. In the final third, we're not showing any quality, even though we do have quality players on paper. I feel like we're just prolonging the inevitable at this point and Gerard will be sacked sooner rather than later. We're set up at the moment to save Gerard's job, not to Aston Villa's benefit in the long term. And just to clarify, that was Ben's comments, not mine. <laughs> just to clarify. But the last point I think is an interesting point about being set up to, to save Stu and Gerard's job rather than to the long-term benefit of Aston Villa that you can kind of look at Gerard's kind of turning it around a little bit at the moment because he's back to the wall, defend, clean sheet. And that looks good for him to be able to turn it around, but it doesn't necessarily mean the best for Aston Villa long term to kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, "Oh, we're chucking chucking away the last couple of years of, of progress and so on, young players and selling them on." We're going to go ready-made players, twenty-nine, thirty, big wages because we want to win now, and that's not quite worked either. Yeah, I think it's um, I think it's valid points. Um, ben Dan, as, um, <laughs> as, as you know, doesn't look good, does it? <laughs> It really is interesting, isn't it? Is this more to keep keep Gerard's career traje- trajectory going than to get Aston Villa in the right place? Now, the sweet spot would be that both yeah, of course, both, both those things happen. But it is it is pretty. I don't know. I'll probably only go on the basis. I actually enjoyed the Man City game, and although we were camped in and defending for most of it, I still thought there was enough glimmers of entertainment. Southampton was a pretty dull experience for everybody involved. The Leeds game probably created more than we could give us credit credit for, um, but was still pretty flat. So it is it is dull and it is tedious and it's an interesting question which we'll never be able to answer, but would a manager who wasn't Steven Gerrard, who wasn't a name, who the who the CEO hadn't tied himself quite as closely to, would he be afforded this this same kind of spell? Um mm. 
I don't well, know. We don't know for sure that Stephen Joel will be, will be afforded that kind of spell yet. He's not hit the 10 games that Dean Smith was sacked over in, in his last season. Yeah. He's got Forrest, I think it's Chelsea after that. So let's say we drew to Forrest and lost to Chelsea. You might go, well, maybe it's time to go now. So we're you know, not going to give Joel the benefit of the doubt. I mean, if Joel got the whole season this season regardless and we finish 17th and you go, why is he still here? Yeah. Then you could say, is he I've got kind of a bit of favouritism from, from Perslow? But at the moment, if he's sacked after 10 games, then he's had the same ride that, that Dean Smith had. Right. Somebody else to speak instead of me. I'm pretty sure these are all, I'm sure I only did two. Uh, there's one that I don't agree with technically, but it raises an interesting point, so I'll save that. Um, from Ryan. Actually, no, you could choose. From Ryan, if not Gerard, who? Or from Darren, delaying the inevitable. Go for Darren, first of all, because I think the one will probably follow the other. Stephen Gerrard's been in charge now um, for um, around 11 months. He was put in there by uh, Mr. Perslow, his Perslow's man. Are we delaying the inevitable with the current run of form that we've had in, in getting rid of this guy, or do we, do we persist with him? I'd say that the whole of this season's been a, li- a little bit uh, underwhelming, to say the least. Um, I'd, I'd like to think we'd be performing better by now. He's, he's, had a good, uh, he's had a good chance. So how long are we going to stay with him? That's my question. Do you want to just play the next one? Because they do lead into each other. Yeah, go on, go for it. If Aston Villa were to change managers, first of all, everyone mentions Poch, but what other options are they? And no one seems to like the playing style of Aston Villa at the moment. If we did bring in Poch, for example, what playing style would he implement onto our squad and how would he best use the players that we've currently got without having to do another two, three hundred million pound overhaul? I'll put those two next to each other because I don't really know what else we can add to that. I think I think Ryan answers Darren there that if you do sack Gerard and if it isn't Pochettino or if it is, is he going to get more out of the players? Now, like you said earlier, and I agree, I suspect yes. But what if 12 months down the line we're going, oh, Pochettino should be doing better here? I mean, every oh, manager yeah. appointment is a risk, but it's a, it's a fair point, I think. Yeah, I like the idea of um, Ryan answering and Daniel or whatever. <laughs> we can just play this and we can just go for a point <laughs> or something and just let them let them sort it out, out amongst themselves. Uh, I think I think it possibly is, to answer the first point, I think it possibly is delaying the inevitable. I think we probably discussed this on the previous, mm-hmm. previous one as well. Um, I think it comes back to the point, do I think that Steven Gerrard can turn this situation fairly quickly into a situation where Villa are not looking over the shoulders at relegation but can advance up that league to be challenging for Europe. I don't have much faith that that can happen and I would be delighted to be proved wrong on it, but I don't have much faith. So if that is the case and our ambitions are to be in Europe sooner rather than later, then yes, by sticking with him, we are delaying the inevitable. In terms of who replaces him, you know, we see the usual names. I don't think Pochettino would come. I don't. Maybe that's me being negative, a negative brummy, um, playing down the size of this job and this challenge and this opportunity. I'm not sure he would do. Um, I don't. I don't think it's a, a point of him not coming because he's too big for the job in terms of you know, Spurs, PSG. He's waiting for a Chelsea or a Man U or whoever. I would, I would almost look at it and go, I don't know if I fancy going in there and trying to fix fix what's going wrong there. Is it like yeah, a pause and chalice kind of thing? I think it might be a bit of both. I think he would, probably would hang on for a Champions League ready job somewhere in Europe, um, wherever that might be. Mm. Equally, I don't think he'd want to. What's in it? You know, it's what's in it for me. How do I progress my career here? Gerard's finding that. How do I, how do I progress my career here? Because you know, it's difficult, isn't it? Because. 
if Pochettino came in, saved Aston Villa's season, and turned turned Aston Villa into let's say Villa managed to sneak through the back door into one of the European competitions. I don't mean the Champions League. <laughs> would would his CV and that would be a remarkable job given what we've seen? And I know we've still got a good squad of players, but if he did that, if he was appointed tomorrow and he was able to to get Villa into European football this season through the back door, would his CV look any better than he already, already does? Yeah. It's still, su- it's still success, isn't it? It's better than taking a Villa job and finishing 11th and going, oh, he wasn't really that good, which is a, a realistic possibility. But on his list of achievements, would he put that, Where would he, if that was his, if literally an actual CV, where would he put it? <laughs> well, it obviously be at, the, be at the bottom, wouldn't it? <laughs> chronologically. <laughs> well, <be> chronologically. <laughs> <laughs> but what, what's the point of that? He's got to take a job somewhere and the big jobs don't just open up and go, well, you've been out of work for X amount of time. Here you go, come and, come and manage here. I still think he's got to earn the right to get a job like that, to be honest. I don't know. I don't know. But in, in terms of other options, I mean, I've said before, and I've said it kind of almost like, can you speak through your fingers? I've said it kind of almost saying... Not so far. Yeah, I don't want to say this in case I leave myself open to it. I'd, I'd try Brendan Rodgers in there. Yeah, we spoke about this a few weeks ago, didn't we? When we thought Joe might have been sacked after after a defeat or something, we said, who, who could it be and... He said, oh, you know, not going quite well at Leicester. Maybe Rogers could do a job. I agree. I think that's more likely. But again, depending on when things happen, if we say, well, Joe's got to the World Cup break, but Rogers is sacked this weekend, do yeah. you then make the decision yourself to get Rogers in? It's a weird situation. Me and John spoke about it yesterday about being on this knife edge of well, if we win a game, you think, well, he's safe now for this amount of time. And if you draw or you lose, you're thinking, well, we could be seeing a corner flag any moment. I could literally yeah. be any time. And I don't really like that atmosphere. No, no, I mean it's it is a little bit of a game of strategy, isn't it? You know, do you sack you, you sack your manager for a couple of reasons, don't you? Well, you sack your manager either because you've fallen out with him on a personal level in terms of boardroom, and you mm. sack them because results are so bad, or you sack them because results aren't quite that bad, but there's an opportunity to get somebody in. Who can be better? Um, I think we're, we're going into the territory of the final part mm. at the moment. Now, results three weeks ago were pretty, pretty bad. We're at the stage now where we've seen a little bit of an improvement on it, but we're also at the stage where the window to make that mid-season change, listen, it's a season unlike any other in terms of having that, that big, long window at it. I think we're venturing to that, that territory now. I think it would be remiss of Villa and the board and Christian Perslow and I forgot his name now, your man, your man, Johan, if he's part, I'm not sure where he would, but if he's part of the, the recruitment committee for managers, be remiss of them not to be doing their due diligence properly. Mm. Uh, yeah, for sure. That might be a little bit disrespectful. Uh, in terms I'd have been of, doing that for the summer if I was in that well, position, yeah. just as a contingency plan. If I it doesn't start well, we need to be prepared. I think it's probably part of football clubs' contingency plans. Mm-hmm. Anyway, most most top football clubs will be have that built into them. But I think we are in that territory now that Gerard. There's enough doubts about Gerard that Villa should be seeking out. Listen, still give Gerard the, the the next month or so to to try and turn this around and trying to to bring some energy energy and cohesion and a plan back into it. But need to be having a serious look around what's out there. Mm, yeah, agreed. Uh, this one, I, I don't fully agree with what Andrew's saying, but it, it 
kind of branches off into another point that I saw elsewhere. So I'll clarify that in a sec. But this is Andrew. Is this, we're doing this live, by the way. This, we are live, yeah. It's not going live on a. Uh, it's going live on social at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Oh, is it? Yeah. People still watching this after ninety minutes. Yeah, there's two hundred people still. There's been two hundred consistent yeah. ages. There's nothing on the telly. <laughs> I don't know. They'll all leave. <laughs> yeah, we're live, by the way. Good job you didn't go mental. Oh no, I'm, you know, I'm far too professional to do. Oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> Okay, yes, we're live. The people calling in aren't live. Do you understand? Oh, no. okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get that bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah good. Bit. All right, this is Andrew. Like this podcast with Dullers Dishwater. Maybe the Aston Villa players that we've currently got, the current crop, have really, really low IQs. I'm wondering whether they're, they're struggling to put into practice Gerard's uh, game plan and formational tactics. Maybe they're just Dullers Dishwater. What does Gerard do then? I saw you laughing through that, and it is quite funny. I think I'll text back saying that made me laugh. Um, but I don't agree with the point. I don't think the, the players are thick, basically. I, I don't agree with that. You might disagree. Um, <laughs> a couple of people saying, there's nothing on TV, and this is better than The Chase, which, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> thank you. Um, the point is, I saw a video on Twitter yesterday with the podcast that Thierry Henry was on. Did you see that? No. Okay, so they were talking. It was another ex-player. I don't know who that was, but they were saying about there was a, a moment in training where he, Henri was playing up front and he was saying, you know, turn, swivel, play me through, I'll score. That was the drill kind of thing. And they were saying, no, it's too tight. I can't turn. Like, the, the angle isn't there, whatever. And Thierry Henry's going, no, come on. Like, it's, it's easy, basically. So he picks up the ball, walks back to halfway on or whoever it is, does a roulette, plays it through to whoever's up front and they score. And he goes, look, easy and walk on and they were looking at him like amazed like it's a bit of magic they pulled out so I told it wasn't too tight and there's a kind of thread underneath that saying about when these ex-players become managers and it doesn't work out maybe it's just that they see the game differently and it's not the players are thick or anything but if Gerard sees it on a different level and can't kind of put that down onto a tactics board for the players to understand it because he just sees the game when he's played it at an elite level. Maybe that's where the kind of confusion comes in and that's why his assistant is so important. Because so he can say to Michael Beale, look, put this into layman's terms for you them. can't like, say to Michael Beale anymore. But... Exactly, no, but before <laughs> they got that connection, so he's now having to say that to Critchley and they haven't got that connection yet. So maybe that's where the teething problems come from. That Gerald can't get it across to Critchley yet for him to get across to the players because Gerald was such an elite player and played it on a different wavelength that John McGee and Ollie Watkins, Timings, whoever, can't relate to it in the same way that he does. There's a bit of a tenuous point from Andrew's original point, but that's what I thought. But these players have played, have got through the through the stages of football. They're playing in the Premier League, and oh, yeah. is, is Steven Gerrard such a cute tactician that he's asking something that their managers previously wouldn't have asked? I don't think that's. I don't think that's we're not doing anything revolutionary, are we? <laughs> Well, I don't think so. I don't think so. And like I say, unless it's lost in translation and and he's asking them to do stuff that is revolutionary and they, they can't do it and they're serving up dollars dishwasher um, dishwater, dollars dishwater football. Uh, I don't know. I don't... Is Gerard overcomplicating it? I don't know. Is that why he's gone back to basics? Possibly. But... Uh, I don't know. What's the, what's the question? Are they thick? <laughs> Are they thick? <laughs> Which I don't agree with because they're Premier League footballers. It's, it's a simple game, isn't it? Put the ball in the back of the net. Like it's the wire overcomplicated. But that Henri thing I saw yesterday, and it all kind of linked together as maybe they are just on a different level and they see things differently. And that's why good managers don't necessarily make good managers. No, good players don't necessarily make good managers. <sighs> Long day. 
This is probably the longest podcast we've done, by the way, is like a chatty one, not an interview. So thanks everyone for sticking with us. Um, um yeah, I don't listen, I don't I don't think the, the I don't think it's a, a fact of the matter that the players are thick. It may be a matter that the manager needs to find new ways to get his ideas across to them. Mm-hmm. Um and it may be the fact that the ideas haven't been consistent and he you know he's he's not been able to get that that clear strategy in place but well we, again we can probably only really test this when we've got a new manager managing that group of players yeah and the last one from Kieran you got no choice whether you want this or not it's called Gerard got found out like I said the last end of the podcast has been more negative than the middle section so Kieran can take it away to end the podcast for me it's not about his coaching off the pitch it's his on pitch tactics I don't know what the decision making is but as we've talked about on as you've talked about on the podcast he, he does like for like swaps but then he doesn't seem to ever change formation he'll change his players around constantly he'll change his attacking formation in terms of the two tens one up front but what is actually happening to change the game who's that player who comes on changes the system and moves us forward up the pitch because all i seem to see is just literally same again and again and again and i'm sorry but dean smith had more tactical nows for me and i really did enjoy gerard when he first came in but the tactics that he was showing then were surprising to the premier league it shocked a lot of people but then once they studied it we got found out and he doesn't have anything else be interested to hear your points and uh, keep up the good work lads up the villa right what do you make of kieran's last point then well, just before I address that, you know that picture that you've put there? Is that a weird perspective? It looks like the tunnel's on the halfway line. Uh, I don't know. It's from the corner, isn't it? I don't know what picture I've used, the original. Doesn't matter, really. No, <laughs> just, me, just me stalling <laughs> while I was thinking about how to answer Kieran. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Were the tactics that he started with so earth-shattering to begin with, or was it just that it was freshness, freshness and... and, and an energy about it. I don't know. I mean, I can't. People in the comments will have numerous examples because they'll have better memories than me. I can't ever remember as recently as Sunday's game. But how many times have his in-game substitutions really made a difference? Hmm. Can you remember? <laughs> oh, I was hoping that wasn't a question to me because partly one, I wasn't quite listening, and I also don't have the answer. Which you know, it will, happen. it will have happened, obviously, but. I can't think off the top of my head while I'm also doing other things to try and find that picture that you just mentioned. Yeah, well, listen, we can probably answer my own question. We've seen when when Buendia comes on for Coutinho that he can have an impact, but that's not really changing the game tactically. That's just bringing somebody in the same role who we think we can perform better better in it for the next for the last 20 minutes. Um I'm lost, mate. It's right, my stomach's rumbling. I'm just trying to... I'm thinking what I'm having for my tea. Um, well, but I'm putting it back on you, Dan. I know you're not concentrating either, but remind me again. What, what's his... <laughs> I've really he's, ask, he's asking who can change the game off the bench, and it's players like Buendia when they're sat on the bench, or Bailey when he's on the bench, or someone like Danny Ings, but the problem is when they do come on, it either doesn't change the system, so... You know, Danny Ings is playing up front on his own to replace Ollie Watkins and that doesn't quite work or Buendia comes in and he's slightly better than Coutinho and you think Buendia's got to be starting what the hell and then he's just start a game and doesn't do enough and then he's back out of the team again there isn't any consistency for someone like Buendia to play six games in a row no matter what and try and find some form and make a difference 
but it's not like we're saying earlier at the start of the podcast about people like a Traore or Trezeguet and someone's coming on who is worse than the player that they're replacing. Someone like Brendier comes on, he's a lifelike replacement for, for Coutinho or Bailey in terms of quality. Brendier isn't coming off the bench as a downgrade and you're going, oh, he's not going to change the game because he's not good enough. It's just that the system isn't quite right or the confidence, is, confidence isn't there. And while they're in this kind of period of trundling along, getting a point here and there, a win here and there, it's like, what do we expect any of them to really do? Yeah, listen, I mean, in-game management's an interesting one for me because <laughs> this sounds really, really cynical and negative, but I'm not sure how we can be expected to have much faith in his plan B for the last 20 minutes, half an hour of games if the plan plan A for the first hour... Um, yeah, we're chopping and changing and we, we, we're not finding a way of nailing that um, each week it's a manager who's muddled he's finding his way um, I'm not sure that we would have um, you know probably people say well, why didn't you funny that you didn't didn't kind of raise this at the time last October or November or whenever Gerard, Gerard came in but I'm not sure you would have another manager with such a rookie CV um, being trusted with that job, if he didn't come with a name that Stephen Gerrard comes with, to be honest. I think we're finding a lot of that now. That's why we're saying how much of it was Michael Beale. That's why we're saying can Gerrard manage squads and situations like the Tyro Mings and the and the John McGinn thing. Can he does he know his first does he know his first choice eleven? Can he can he manage games he's got him game management that he can affect these things. He doesn't know all these answers, and as a young manager, and as a young manager in any walk of life, not just not just in football, he's going to have to make a lot of mistakes before he knows these answers because it's not mm. the same as playing. You know, yeah. coaching and management's not the same, and I'm not sure that Aston Villa has the patience threshold for him to be making these mistakes with us when we were told that this was a this was a time that Villa would go in places. Um, I don't think any Premier League club has got the patience for that. I think if you're a mid-table championship side that might be able to push into the playoffs at some point, you can go, well, if we lose a few games, it doesn't really matter because we're not expected to be doing anything really. But Villa, who are finishing mid-table and wanting to get into Europe, we can't afford to have a rookie manager learn on the job and make mistakes along the way because we find ourselves with a point per game and yeah, in, in, in fear of relegation. Well, Generally, Dan, and I'm sure people will be able to spout lots of examples that prove I'm wrong, but I'll go ahead with and say it anyway. Generally, when you get a rookie manager learning his way in the Premier League, it's because he's the one who's got them promoted. Mm. They're expected to consolidate or to stay up and nothing else. Mm. And even that rookie manager who's got them promoted would probably have more experience managing in the lower leagues or in European leagues. So would would no man management would know how to change tactics mid-game and all these kind of things. So we've got a very, very strange situation whereby, you know, how many how many managers recently have gone straight into the Premier League and hit the ground running? You know, in terms of, you know, even kind of, I know, I know Gerard has had his spell in Scotland, so he's not gone straight into the Premier League. But there's not, there's not many, is there? Not certainly are the big names. You know, even like the likes of Lampard and, and, and Rooney cut their teeth outside of the, the Premier League um, to start with as well, albeit for a very, very short spell with Lampard. I think it's we're asking him to we're asking him to learn on the job. He's not he he's trying to learn on the job. He's not used to knowing anything but success and love. So not only is he learning on the job, he's learning on the job in a real pressure cooker 
following a man who had got a massive connection with Villa um, and a bigger glare because he's Steven Gerrard than anybody than he's ever really had before in, in, in management. Mm. So, I don't know. You either sink or you swim. Um, and at the moment, he's treading water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you took the work for treading water in the last episode as well. You must have watched it. You must have watched our great podcast last episode. Yeah, definitely. Um, the last question, which came in last minute, and I didn't get a chance to mock it up properly, was a silly nonsense question. I feel like we need that to end the podcast because it's been a not a slog, but it's an hour 45 we've been going for, and there's a lot of sadness about Aston Villa, let's say. The guy recently moved house, in which is not far from where you, you live, up in Rowley or Cradley or whatever it is. It's where I used to live. He was asking, what's the best takeaway? Well, he specifically said Indian, but then he said takeaway as well. So have you got a recommendation for a nice curry in Hells Owen or, or that, that kind of area? Well, we normally go there um, for our takeaways. I'm not saying it's the best in the world. I'm not saying I've got the most refined palate in the world. We don't normally just go to the dill shed down Blackheath because it's just oh, yeah. it's just standard. It's just we, We've always done it. And what I will say about the dill shed is whether people are not like the food or not, and I'm very, I'm very satisfied customer. If for whatever reason they're running late, if for whatever reason they're running late, it doesn't happen very often. But if they're running late and you're going to collect it uh, rather than it be delivered, they've tended to offer me a little drink while I've been waiting, which oh, is pretty really? nice. Sometimes That's I get there and hope that it's running late so I can just chill out for like ten minutes. <laughs> um, you could pay for a drink. <laughs> say again. You could get there early and pay for a drink. Not now, given this shout out. Um, <laughs> don't want to pay for my food again. Um, so that that's where we go for Indian. I think it's chippy tea tonight, and I think she's going to be hanging down the door in a minute because she's going to want to know my order. But I think we're going to go through to Merchants up the road yeah, for the yeah. chippy tea tonight, which is opposite the Stag, opposite the Stag nice. and Three Horseshoes. Yeah, I think that's about it, mate. Where where would you have tended to go back in the day when you were at Halesonian? There's two I can think of for house Owen specifically in like the town centre. Do you know, remember when the Bangla Lounge burnt down? I don't know what I'm laughing because it's not funny. Is Bangla Lounge the one at the top? By the... It's by the church. It's opposite the church. Yeah, the by, the, centre, by, by the, the bones. Yeah, yeah. So it was that place. Yeah, it had a fire. Or so. I don't know if it burnt down properly, but I'm sure it had a fire a few years ago and when they reopened, they gave the, the men would get a whiskey at the end of your order and the women will get a Baileys in little shot glasses at the end, and they, they did that when it reopens, like a goodwill gesture kind of thing, like, thanks for coming back. They still, well, last time I went, like a year ago, they still do that. Oh, All these years, unless you finish your meal and you get a little little dram of whiskey. I, I think that's like Baileys, though, I would. Yeah, I'll, I'll, just I'll, Baileys. I'll try and switch that, swap that with somebody. Um, but there's also the, a place called the Amina up on, by the Lidl. I don't know, you know where the Lidl is, just up from the town centre, going like the opposite way. That's another Yeah, yeah, place. I know, yeah. Um, I always think these places are better when you go to eat in rather than a takeaway. It's never quite the same at home. I don't know why. Just sort the food sweaty yeah, in the bag. I prefer if they give me a hot towel, which they can't really deliver at the door, can they? <laughs> yeah. Just to wipe my greasy head. I'll bring a takeaway, but I want to just bring me a hot towel in about 45 minute time as well. Um, so, yeah, I think that's it. But our longest podcast for a mile for ages for us doing a, a chat together. But obviously, a lot of that isn't by us talking. We've filled up 20 minutes or so from the people that have sent stuff in. So, Thank you very much for those that did. I believe I've used everyone, so don't feel too disheartened if I didn't use yours. I must have lost it in the post somewhere. But I'm pretty sure everyone who sent one had theirs featured. Did cut them down a little bit, um, just for time reasons. I mean, I've cut them down. It still took us an hour and fifty minutes to get through them. Do you know what you should do next time? And this is no, this is no, um, not to meant to be too much of a criticism. The ones that you read out, other people's <laughs> opinions that you read in out. an accent. 
just either you do them in an accent or you get some <laughs> random people, you get your mom to read one or you get one of the okay. lads in the office to read one and do it like that, just to vary okay. it a bit. All right, noted. All right. That's a bit of feedback. Thank you for that. Um, the number that I gave out, there's a few people asked throughout this and how do I get involved. I put a number out there somewhere. I'm not even going to say where it is because I don't want to entertain any more of these until we say we're going to do an episode. If you send me one in the next few days, I'm not even going to open it because my phone will be off. It was a work phone. So when I say we're doing a phone here, I don't want to do Don't contact me until I tell you to contact me. <laughs> Speak when you're spoken to. Because I don't want to do these. thing is, if we do this next week, Everyone will be saying the same kind of things, but it'll be a different name that said it. So I want to wait until something happens with Villa, whether we get rid of the manager or it's 10 games down the line and then we'll do another. But don't you think, and again, this is a planning meeting and we'll let people go in a minute, don't you think it'd be a good idea to have like a little kind of rant line at the end of games that we could, when we do our immediate post-match for half an hour, 40 minutes, you could just put yeah, in... But it, like, the only problem with doing it live is what if something somebody says something bad? Well, we don't come on, do we, until... Whatever. So you want me to get home from a game, do all the admin to get the pre-records in, get them loaded up, then we do the live stream, and then they go in afterwards. How much work do you want me to do on a match day? Unbelievable. Right, let's call it a day there. One hour, 50 minutes of Aston Villa chat. I think we've covered basically every topic you can think of. Um, So that should be us done for for the next few weeks. Um, But we're back on Monday night, I expect. Is it going to be you and me again because we're on TV? Yeah, it's on Sky. It's on Sky, yeah. Monday night football. So we'll, we'll jump on a Monday evening at half 11 or whatever time the game finishes and we'll have half an hour chat then won't be that late will it be about 10 o'clock won't it 10 o'clock then all right whatever no one cares about the about the details we'll be on on monday night people know where to find us if they're watching this they know where to find the post-match show so uh yeah we'll be back for that matt thank you for your hour and 50 minutes of your time on a friday afternoon fair play go and get your chippy tea and thanks for everyone who watched along with this live and sent in their videos if you're watching this on catch up Get involved in the comment section as well. And uh, yeah, thank you very much for watching. We'll see you again on Monday nights. Thank you for listening to Claret and Blue and Aston Villa podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please do let us know. We love hearing your feedback. We'll be back soon with another episode. But until then, up the villa. Up the villa.